Good morning. My name is David. I'm another one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to open up God's Word with you. So, if you have a Bible, go to Psalm 51. If you don't have a Bible, grab the one in the pew rack in front of you, and you can turn to page 474. This summer, we are going through the book of Psalms, looking at everyday experiences and seeing how the Psalms equips us for those experiences. It equips us for the depth of human emotion that we experience. We've looked at things like uncertainty, anger, betrayal, and fear. And today, I get regret. So look with me at Psalm 51 and keep this theme of regret in mind as we read through this famous psalm. Psalm 51, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come to this well-known psalm, words that many of us have probably sung or prayed before. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would breathe new life on us as we look at this together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's August, so it means that vacations are wrapping up. The Redskins are practicing. Congress is in recess. You are looking for back-to-school sales for shoes and backpacks, and that means summer is almost over. For some of you, you're happy. For others of you, you're very sad. I wonder though, as you look back on your summer, as you think about all your different experiences, is there anything 
that you wish were different. For me, there are several things that I wish were different just in the last few weeks. I wish I did not tear my ACL and my meniscus on a mission trip to Romania. Yes, playing volleyball, that happened. Pray for me, surgery on Tuesday. Pray for my surgeon even more. Uh, I, I, I met with him this past week and I I chose him because he literally does hundreds of these a month, but he comes in and he says, how, how are you feeling about the surgery? I said, I'm kind of nervous. And he said, well, that's understandable. Why? I was like, well, it is your first time you're doing this surgery. Um, and he looks at me, he shakes his head. He's like, well, what's your goal for recovery? I said, I, I want to play for the Washington Redskins. He just shook his head again. He said, uh, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. <laughs> he said, well, you might have trouble kneeling. I said, I'm not that kind of pastor. <laughs> He said, where's your church? I said, mm, McLean. He's like, oh, we're moving there. We might come. So if you're here, welcome. <laughs> we're praying for your skill on Tuesday. <laughs> I wish that I hadn't torn my knee in Romania. I also wish that when I went on a family vacation after that, that I didn't have an uncomfortable exchange with one of my family members. I also wish this past week that I would have spent more time with my kids. What are some of your regrets this summer? You see, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, we all struggle with things that we wish were different in our lives, from the silly to the serious. For example, it might be your circumstances. You might blame yourself for a bad outcome. You look back and you think, if only would I would have taken the metro instead of driving, I wouldn't have missed my flight. You look back and say, if only I would have spent more and better time with my kids. Or may even have regrets over your decisions. You feel a sense of sorrow of what might have been. You might say something like, I could have been a doctor if I applied myself in school. You might say something like, I could have made more money if I would have held on to those stocks a little bit longer. Or maybe you may even have regret over a previous choice and action that you took. You might even think something like, why did I choose to marry this person? Or why did I let things go so far with my coworker? As we look back over our lives, if we're honest, we all have shoulda, coulda, wouldas <laughs> in so many areas, whether it's education, relationships, career, health, or finances, and they can range from the silly to the serious. And that feeling, that troubling feeling, when you look back, is called regret. Things we desperately want to change, but we can't. I love the way that one man, Barry Cooper, paints a vivid picture of this emotion. He writes, We're always trying to swim back upstream to the moment just before we think it all went wrong. Our minds, sadly aren't well-behaved libraries, shelved with orderly memoirs, their garthic charnel houses piled high with gaudy carousels, fiercely spinning out past moments, past conversations, past relationships. What if I had done things differently? What if I had said something else? What if I had been someone else? He goes on. The linoleum is worn through with pacing. 
we rehearse and re-rehearse dialogue as if we're preparing for opening night on Broadway, except there is no play. These conversations, they ended long ago, and many of the people who shared them with us are long gone. Regret, listen to this, the barbed wire hula hoop loping heavily around the brow, lacerating the skull with each revolve, regret the malevolent halo. It's a vivid picture, isn't it? How many of you at night think about all the conversations you had that day, the things that you said or didn't say? You rehearse them over and over in your mind. Or think back on those conversations or actions that you've taken in years past and they circle around your head and cut into your brow as those regrets come up over and over and over. What do you do? I'll tell you what I do sometimes. I just don't admit that those feelings are there. I might say to myself, look, you didn't really do anything wrong. Or I might simply not think about that feeling. You can't change the past. Why bother? Get on with your life. You can't live there. Or I might simply not accept my role in those feelings. I couldn't help myself. It wasn't my fault. And friends, none of those strategies will work. Whether denial whether diversions or diatribe, none of those things are sufficient to deal with the feeling of regret. It's like trying to hold a beach ball under the water. It takes all your energy and eventually it pops to the surface. That's why Brene Brown, many of you will know her, says that regret is a tough but fair teacher. To live without regret is to believe you have nothing to learn no amends to make, and no opportunity to be braver with your life. Regret can be all-consuming. It can weigh us down. It can destroy our relationships, and it can sabotage our futures. But friends, there's a better way to deal with regret, and we see it in Psalm 51. We see a better way that David deals with his previous sinful choice. So let's look first together at a king's regret. If you are here last week, you know we looked at a psalm by David when he was hiding in a cave in fear. Fast forward 25 years later, David is now at the height of his power. He's in his mid-40s. And we know the context. We know the backdrop of this psalm because we have the title. It's when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Most of you probably know this story, right? If you go back and read this story, David is at the height of his power. He is ruling and reigning a united kingdom. Things are going really well, and he gets a little lazy. Instead of going out on the front lines where he should have been working on the fences with his soldiers, he hangs back in the comfort of his palace. And one day, as he's on the roof of his palace, he sees a woman bathing on her roof. And he goes to her, and he has an affair with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant, and instead of admitting to it, he tries to cover it up. 
He tries to bring Uriah back home, but Uriah is such a worthy man, he won't be a part of the cover-up, even unknowingly. So what does David do? He kills. He kills. The man after God's own heart becomes a man after his own heart. He becomes an adulterer. He murders Bathsheba's husband and his friend Uriah, and he becomes a hypocrite because he tries to keep it quiet. But we know what he was experiencing, that hula hoop of regret. We know that beach ball under the water because in Psalm 32 he wrote how he felt during this season. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. And then, and then, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, God sent the prophet Nathan to David. In 2 Samuel 12, the word of God comes through the prophet of God to the king of God, to David. And he tells him this story about a rich man and a poor man and how the rich man stole the sheep from a poor man and sacrificed it. And David's anger is kindled and he says, Who did this? And Nathan, with great courage, looked at the king of Israel and said, You are the man. And you know what David could have done in that moment? He could have denied it again. He could have just nodded at some soldiers. They could have come and killed Nathan and he could have kept it quiet. He could have blamed someone else just like Adam in that moment. It's the woman you gave to me. It's Bathsheba's fault. She shouldn't have been up there. But what does David do in 2 Samuel 12? He's cut to the heart and he says, I have sinned. He acknowledges what he has done in that moment. I love the way that one pastor describes this scene. It says, sin had made David dirty and he wanted to be clean. Guilt had made him sick and he wanted to be well. Disobedience had made him lonely and he wanted to be reconciled. Rebellion had made him fearful and he wanted to be pardoned. And I love, I love even more is the Lord's response. The Lord whispers to his beloved, come closer. You see, here's a good principle to remember. Ungodly shame will drive you away from God. But godly conviction will send you running to the Heavenly Father. How do you know the difference between good and bad shame and conviction? Let me tell you. Bad shame and conviction come straight from the pit of hell and it will tell you that you've sinned and you've done too much and you cannot go home. But good and godly conviction come from the Holy Spirit that whispers, you have no place to go but the Father. Run to him and it is that soul that is driven to the father that pins psalms 51 psalm 51 a king's confession let me just summarize the content of his confession here in verses 1 through 3 notice the basis for david's plea for forgiveness is what it is the character of god He appeals to the mercy of God. 
to the grace of God, to the love of God, and the power of God. It is chiefly the Father's steadfast love that provokes him to repentance, not the fear of consequences. You see, it's the same reason that the prodigal went home. It wasn't because he was afraid of what was going to happen. It was because he knew his father still loved him. And that's what's provoking David's heart in this moment. I have turned my back on my heavenly father who loves me. You see, friends, until we know the character of God, until we believe that he is loving, that he is full of grace, that he is fully full of mercy, and he has the power to do something about it, then we will never ever take our messiness of regret to him. We have to know who he is and believe who he is in order to respond to who he is. The basis for David's plea for forgiveness is the character and covenant of God. Next, look at verses 4 through 9. The content of his confession is what? It's the dysfunction of his nature. He says, I'm a sinner, but even more, I've sinned, but even more than that, I am a sinner. He sinned not only against Uriah, but what he highlights in verse 4 is who? He sinned against God. Think about that. It's a pretty big deal to murder someone. That's a big sin against them. Or to have an affair with Bathsheba. That's a pretty big sin against him. And David knows that. But what he is emphasizing here is that any sin against a fellow image bearer is not only an offense against them, but it is also an offense against a holy and loving God. I love the way Derek Kidner puts it. Our bodies are not our own and our neighbors are made in the image of God. The heart of the matter is this. When we commit a sin of murder or lust against someone else, it is not just a sin against them. It is a sin and an offense and an assault on the glory of God and the gospel of God. And so is the sin of racism and white supremacy. Why? It's not just a sin against another human being or a neighbor. It's a sin against another image bearer. Read James 2. It's a sin against a holy and loving God. When we sin against one another, it's not just against another fellow human being. It's a sin against a holy God. That's the depth and the breadth of our sin. And so David does not justify sin. He does not make excuses. He does not try to stand on his own record. He doesn't say, Lord, forgive me. I've done a lot of good things for you. Remember that Goliath thing? Remember all this other stuff? He doesn't point to his record at all, but he says, I have sinned against you. It's the same thing that the prodigal says when he comes home. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Friends, if we do not believe that at our core we are sinners... If we do diagnose the the problem properly, then we will seek superficial remedies that will never transform us or our culture. The problem is sin. And the only solution is what we find next in verses 10 through 18. You see, the goal of David's confession is the restoration 
of his relationship with his heavenly Father. And we see that David's heart is recreated. It's made new. And his connection to the Lord was restored. It's that celebration when the prodigal son comes home. The father throws a party. And the dead son was alive again. Friends, if we do not believe the character of God. If we do not believe the depravity of our own souls. Then we will never ever experience the joy of salvation. And the redemption in our lives caused by nothing but grace. You see, we will experience the joy and the gladness of restoration. And that's the result. Verses 12 through 14, what does David say? Restore to me the joy of your salvation, O God of my salvation. Salvation is literally about getting out of bondage. Redemption means you are freed from your past. It's what the Apostle Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 7 when he's talking about regret. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces salvation. Death. Friends, the emotion of regret will lead to one of two outcomes. Death or life. Let me say a few more things about that. What is worldly regret? Worldly regret is when you feel bad about something in a way that leads to death. You are less concerned about offending a holy God and you are more focused on missed opportunities, humiliation of your ego, and only the consequences. But godly regret is when you are convicted about your sin in a way that leads to life. You are focused on the utter sinfulness against a holy and a loving God. Worldly regret is a destination without repentance. Godly regret is a transition to repentance that leads to salvation. I love the way Barry Cooper again describes it. Godly regret is a chrysalis. It enables us to leave behind the wriggling larva of sin, to grow the bright wings of repentance, and so fly upwards toward our salvation. It is not meant to be carried with us, but discarded once its purpose has been met. Friends, there's a better way to deal with our regret. How did David deal with it? I love it. Don't miss this. Verse 7. David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Most of us are probably not very familiar with hyssop. Hyssop was a fibrous plant that was often made into a brush used for purification ceremonies in the Old Testament. Let me give you three examples. You may remember the Passover, the lamb. When they sacrificed a lamb, they would take hyssop, dip it in the basin of blood from the lamb, and smear it on the doorpost. 
Another example would be when a leper was healed, they had to go through a purification process. You would take two birds, you would kill one bird, you would dip hyssop in the blood of the dead bird, sprinkle it on the alive bird, and then you would set this bird free. Let me give you another example. When the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, and when they sin, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to sacrifice a red heifer, burn it, put the hyssop in the ashes, and then sprinkle the ashes for purification. In all of these instances, hyssop and blood are used for purification. That's what David is appealing to. Father, purge me with hyssop. And if you do, I will be clean and I will be washed white. Friends, that is very powerful blood. And do you know what blood that is? It is the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away David's sin? What can wash away our sin? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians, or Hebrews actually. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ? Friends, we have been set free. We can be made clean because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Even though we cannot change our past, it can be covered by the blood of Christ. Third and final point is this question. How does this work, Pastor? How do I experience the cleansing power of regret? We've seen a king's regret. We've seen a king's confession. And now we need to see the king's grace. Here are two simple reminders for anyone wrestling with regret. The first you won't like. The second, you will. The first is this. For those of you who are experiencing regret, you may have to sit with the pain and sorrow of regret for a bit. You see, David didn't minimize his sin and he didn't run away when Nathan confronted him. We have to be brave enough to take an honest look at ourselves and our wounds. It's hard but necessary, like dealing with an infection before it turns to gangrene. Sometimes you have to get uncomfortable before you can heal and transform. Look what David had to do. He wrote a psalm that tens of thousands of people sing for thousands of years. I'm not asking you to write a song about your deepest regret and give it to Dr. Vogan for us to sing next week. How would you feel about that? I'm just telling you that you may have to sit with your pain. You may have to talk to someone who can walk with you through your regret because that is the path to restoration. Second reminder that you'll like a lot more. You may have to sit with the pain of regret and sorrow for a bit, but you must sit with the pleasure of grace and forgiveness longer. David repented of his sin and placed his faith in the steadfast love of the Lord. You have to trust God enough and and coupled with repentance, have faith that his grace is enough. 
You see, when I have people that come and talk to me about big sins that they think that they have in their lives, we can talk about the forgiveness of God through Christ. Many will say, but pastor, I know Christ has forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. And in a loving way, this is what I say. Don't be that impressed with your sin. (laughs) It takes a lot of pride to think that your sin is bigger than your Savior. It takes a lot of pride to find more affirmation and the approval of men than the King of Heaven. I love the way Richard Sibbs says it. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in me. Until we are focused on Christ, we will fixate on our sin. I love the way John Piper says it. If he, Satan, cannot keep you from regretting your sin, then he will do his best to keep you from enjoying your forgiveness. Friends, that's why I come back every week, every Sunday. That's why I do this four times on a Sunday. Because I leak grace. It's why I come in here on Sunday, and it's why I put myself in the way of grace. I need this fellowship. I need these words that we sing to give expression to the emotions of my heart. I need someone with the gift of teaching to open up the Scriptures in a way that brings grace alive in my life. We must put ourselves in the way of grace in order to celebrate and enjoy and experience the forgiveness of Christ that is ours. Friends, in this passage we see a king's regret, a king's confession, and a king's grace. It was true for David. And it's true for us. Do you have regrets? Blunders? Things that you wish you could do over? There is good news for you. If you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, He has promised to make us a new creation. It's beautiful throughout the entire order of worship from the assurance of pardon to the songs that we sing. We know the precious (laughs) Prince of Life shed his precious blood and we know that he has cleansed and sanctified us God himself has set us free friends you can move from regret to salvation because the Savior whispers to you today come home grace can change everything even your regret and nothing in your past nothing in your present and nothing in your future will ever separate you from the love of Christ the purpose of regret is to drive you to the Heavenly Father so that we can experience the joy of His salvation. And when we do, that's when our regret turns to worship. So let's do that now as I pray. Father, there's no better prayer than what Psalm 51 says. Father, deliver us from our blood guiltiness. God of our salvation and our tongues will sing aloud of your righteousness Lord open our lips and our mouths will declare your praise so Father I pray that all of us in this room that have from silly to serious regrets that we would plunge those into the depth of our Savior's love so that we will experience the joy of salvation and celebrate our forgiveness and freedom in Christ that becomes puzzling, provoking to the world around us. 
so that many will know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.